0: From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hello, hello, it's Elizabeth here. I am so glad to have you joining us for our season one finale episode. Y'all, I'm flying solo today, and I'll be answering some of the questions that were submitted on our question form. We had so many good ones, Um, but I may actually end up doing a second one of these next season if y'all enjoy it, Um, but we'll get to the ones that we have time for today. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. The first question we got um, that I'm going to address here is, I'm looking for advice on how to know when a prudent amount of time has passed before taking that next step in the relationship, or really any tips on how to grow together more seriously with that goal in mind without crossing emotional boundaries for this stage in our life. This is a great question. I think that... The answer is so dependent on person to person. I'm very hesitant to just put like a chunk of time on it, like a, a, an intentional guideline there, I guess, for everybody, because everyone's relationship is so different. There is so um, much that goes into this discernment. But I will give you some kind of guidelines to get you started when you're discerning this for yourself. So um, I'm assuming, first of all, that the next step in relationship, what you're talking about is getting into engagement, um, moving forward more intentionally into marriage. One timeline boundary I will give people, and again, this isn't necessarily the same for everyone. If your situation is unique for some reason, of course, trust you know, your prayer. Hopefully you have a spiritual director or a confessor you talk to you that you can trust to help guide this discussion. But just as kind of a general rule. I do not recommend that people get married um, earlier than one year from me to marry, all right? So if you met like on a dating website or you met like at a youth group, like you didn't know each other before, you didn't have any sort of relationship beforehand, I recommend you walk an entire calendar year together before you decide to get married. So in that year, um, would encompass, could encompass for your life pre-engagement, engagement, et cetera. But I just think it's so important to see the full year of someone's life, their family, um, just kind of what all of that looks like for you. So um, that is one kind of caveated boundary I will say is I, I think that one year meet to marry can be really helpful. But when you are praying and discerning this, I think it can be very helpful to judge where your conversations have been and kind of what your boundaries have been like. So it is really important, I think, to talk about a lot of this big intentional serious stuff before you get engaged. And this is one of my opinions that I think is very countercultural. Most people wait until they're engaged to dive into some of these deeper, more intense discussion topics um, about you know, their past and their hope for the future and kind of finances and their ideas about um, family planning, like those sorts of things. A lot of people wait until they're engaged to already have these discussions. But as I mentioned before, um, and if you've been a listener for a while, you know I feel this way, that if you wait until you're engaged... The wedding planning that can take over um, that period of your life can take priority, even if you think that it is um, totally valuable to be doing this marriage prep. It can be difficult to carve out the time to set aside the time because wedding planning can be so intense. So I would say that um, one of the things is that's important to do is making sure that you have time to have some of these deeper, more intentional conversations, a lot of these more typical, quote, marriage prep things you talk about beforehand. Now, of course, there are some things when you're in marriage prep that need to wait. Um, talking about your intentional um, or intentional is not the word I'm looking for, I guess, your specific, um, what your sexual relationship will look like for you guys. That's something that needs to be talked about in engagement. Actually doing NFP charting together, that's something that needs to be talked about during engagement. Um, Those sorts of topics. There there are a couple more, I suppose, but those are ones that off the top of my head, wait till you're engaged to talk about those really um, intimate carnal knowledge discussions. But most of the stuff that's covered in engagement can actually be covered earlier. So um, i think that that's one of the things some couples can get there um after dating just for 3 4 months they can be ready at a you know for a pre-engagement other couples will take longer than that you know 9 10 months some a year and a half i do think that the older you are when you get into the relationship the faster it will go a lot of times not always not as a rule but if you're dating someone very seriously at 19 20 even maybe 22 23 um if you went to college, in college, and then right after college, um, you're still really doing some of this work of figuring out who you want to be. As opposed to if you're 27, 28, 34, 35, um, you have a very clear understanding of who you are, or at least hopefully you're you're more on that path of understanding who you are. You've ideally utilized your single years to help cultivate that. And also, you would not have gotten into a serious relationship, ideally, if you didn't know what you were wanting I guess um, so you it things move faster because you don't spend as much time in the earlier stages the older you are because you just if you know whether or not someone is a good fit a lot faster based on the life experiences you've been through a lot of the time so um, any tips on growing together more seriously with that goal in mind without crossing emotional boundaries I actually do have a tip for this. Um, I think when it comes to emotional boundaries it's important to consider, um, the different stages of a relationship and being intentional in those stages of relationship. So I think episode three, I will put this in the show notes for sure when I figure out which episode it is, but I think it's three on the stages of dating. I talk about being intentional with the different stages. So we, you know, you're single and then you're dating, which means going on dates, trying to figure out if you want to be in a commitment. And then you're in a committed relationship Then I put in pre-engagement there where you're having these deeper, more intentional conversations and then engagement. Um, And then of course, marriage and parenting and those things. But when you're in each of those stages, there are different emotional boundaries that are appropriate. And in a lot of ways, this is what you are sharing with the other person. So one of the tips that I have actually is to sit down and intentionally look at those stages of dating and make a list of the big intentional um, things that happened in your life. I keep using the word intentional today, guys, but what I actually meant that second time, those big, serious things that happen in your life and that you would want to share with the person that you're dating, but that are very emotionally intimate. Maybe something big you went through, maybe something big your family went through, um, some deep suffering, things like that. Um, brokenness in the past that you want to share. And I would take it before the Lord in adoration and categorize the different things that you have been through and what stage you would want to talk about them. So I'd be comfortable telling about this breakup, you know, when I'm just dating someone, but I might want to wait to talk about this um, huge wound that happened in my family when I'm in pre-engagement. Like I want to be, you know, more intimate with the person before I get there. So um, my tip would be to figure out, where your boundaries are, because that will help you guys to be able to have intimate discussions and grow deeper and closer, um, but maintain the healthy emotional boundaries in that regard so that one person or both people aren't kind of giving too much of themselves emotionally uh, before it's prudent and appropriate in your relationship. So um, if you want a specific answer about your situation, you're listening to this, or maybe you're the question asker, um, and you want to know about your life. I would be happy to maybe give a little bit more feedback um, if you want to email me personally about what that would look like for you. Um, obviously, I wouldn't tell you what to do, but maybe I could give a little bit more guidance if I had some more background. But I think as a whole, just broadly, um, it's more going to be more important to consider where your heart is, where your relationship is, um, than the time that has passed. It can go quickly, especially if you're older and you know what you're looking for, or um, it may take a little bit longer. And before I end this question, I really want to emphasize how important the early stages of a relationship are for your friendship development. Being friends, having a foundation of friendship is so critical to being able to have a lifelong, healthy, happy marriage. The Gottmans, who I've talked about a number of times on here, um, the Gottmans actually talk about friendship um, it being something that's so critical to relationships that their research shows, their research demonstrates that couples who have a stronger friendship have longer lasting marriages that are happy. So um, of course, it's important to consider when you can move forward in the relationship. And a lot of times people really just want to keep moving on. But I do think that it's important to prioritize and think about those early stages and really present them and build a strong foundation of friendship and fun and humor and laughter and joy in the relationship before moving on um, to the deeper conversations because that foundation can be so helpful. All right, next question. Thank you for mentioning a lot about the pain of breakups and encouraging the journey to heal. When going through a breakup, it was very easy for me to wallow in self-pity, seek sympathy, and hurt others in my hurting. How would you suggest helping someone going through a breakup experience live, um and heal in their pain while also helping them come out of the self-pity and not hurting others intentionally or unintentionally. Um, first of all, you're welcome for talking about breakups. We had a number of questions about breakups, but this is the one that I picked out because I did not mention in the episode the kind of self-pity, the sympathy, those sorts of things um, that I think is important to address here. So I, as you guys know, think think that breakups are such a significant event. Um, And particularly when you've been doing a lot of really deep um, intentional relationship discernment, it can hurt so much. And that pain is so real. Um, But I think that the thing that gets us out of self-pity is the cross, looking at the cross of Christ, I mentioned this again in this episode, the episode on breakups that I'll link in the show notes. And I have more on breakups that I'm going to do in season two. We have a whole second half of that conversation that I want to share with you guys. Um, but it's we t- I talk about how the cross really is in, in one way a breakup pain, right? Christ, the lover, longed to be in union with his bride and she just had... <laughs> Had wanted none of it. We we in our sin turn to other things that we thought would make us happy, other than the Lord. So obviously there's more to it than that. But I do think that on the cross Christ really understands and has sympathy for our pain and empathy really for our breakup pains. So if you are tempted to be to you know to wallow in self pity or to try to seek sympathy from others in a way that's grasping and unhealthy, like you're not able to validate your own pain and you need other people to do it for you. Go to Christ, meditate on the cross, find a beautiful crucifix, or um, you can, you know, if you have a crucifix, you can look up pictures on online if you need that to have an image in front of you, but pray, pray, pray with the crucifix um, and pray with the Lord on Calvary. Watch the movie, The Passion, um, and see the Lord's pain and suffering for you and pray through um, your uniting your pain with him. And um, I also think that one of the really important things to do um, when you're going through a breakup is serve other people. When you are, when we are suffering, it's so easy to turn in on ourselves because the pain can be so overwhelming and so consuming. So one of the ways to combat that is to get outside of ourselves, to serve other people. Um, when I went through my huge earth-shattering breakup um, at the end of college, I was able to volunteer with a youth group, um, a little while later after the breakup happened. And it was so wonderful to get to pour into these kids. Obviously there are emotional boundaries there. They weren't like meeting emotional needs or anything weird and creepy. Um, so make sure that you're in a healthy place that you're, you are able to give without trying to like pull from other people in that way. But if you are able to just pour into someone else, um, and volunteer and serve, it is so life-giving to see how the Lord can move through you. And of course, there are other ways to serve too. Look up the local missionaries of charity, um, find a soup kitchen. Um, there are just so many different ways to volunteer. And I think when you are serving other people who are suffering, um, that you are able to really see the Lord moving and recognize that suffering has um, beautiful uh implications, I guess, in, on your spiritual life. You grow closer to the Lord um, and you're able to meet others in that place and bring them to Christ in that. So um, I definitely think that figuring out a way to serve others and love others when you're in this place of suffering is a, a really wonderful way to get outside of yourself. All right. The next kind of category of questions that I had um, at a number of these questions were about pornography. And one in particular that I'm going to pull out, there were a lot of them, but one that I'm going to pull out, um, this person was saying that her boyfriend has been looking at porn for like a decade and it's something that's really serious in their relationship that he's working on. And she said, I'm at a crossroads because he wants to marry me, but I don't have peace about it, but I also don't want to lose him. Do you suggest I break up with him or take a break and give him some kind of ultimatum with the porn or continue in the relationship and find some way to help him? Y'all, um, pornography and people who struggle with pornography, um, that that struggle, that cross is really close to my heart because I think it is one of the biggest enemies, maybe the biggest enemy of our time to marriage, um, or one of marriage's biggest enemies, I guess is a better way to say that. Um, it is everywhere, y'all. Porn is everywhere, and it is so easy to access it. So many people... Come across it when they're too young to realize what it is, um, or too young to realize that you can develop compulsive behavior towards it um, in masturbating usually. Uh, but there's this um kind of compulsion element, and so many people uh, cover like discover it before they re- like old are old enough to realize it, and then are trapped by the time they want to get out. I have so much sympathy and so um, for this cross because I think that. Um, it's so pervasive, and so many people who are trapped in pornography really want to get out but don't know how to do it. So first of all, um, ultimatums. I just want to address ultimatums. I'm not a fan of ultimatums. My dad always told me growing up that do not give <laughs> to not give an ultimatum unless you are prepared to take the other end of it. So if you're like, if you don't stop looking at porn, I'm going to break up with you. If you're not prepared to break up with them, don't ever give an ultimatum, for one, Um so so often people use it as a manipulation tool or a bargaining tool. I'm not saying that that's what this person was wanting to do. I think that this person's heart that I read in the question was much more of a, like, I would love to marry him. I just want to figure out how to help him best. Um, but some people can use it as a manipulation tool. And I don't think that that is ever healthy, ever, ever, and productive. And so ultimatums are really tricky in that regard. I would not recommend giving ultimatums. Even if you are prepared to do it, if you're prepared to break up with them, Honestly, just break up with them if that's kind of what's going on here. Um, But giving an ultimatum, it just isn't going to accomplish what you want to do. So I don't like ultimatums. I would not suggest you do them. I think, um, again, I'm not going to give you advice uh, as far as what you should do. This is something I learned in my counseling master's program. One of the things they really emphasized as we were studying to be counselors is do not tell someone what to do because you don't have to live with the consequences of that. When I go home at night, um, at the end of my time working in ministry or working as a therapist or whatever, I'm going back to my life um, that, you know, the choices that I've made and the consequences of those choices, but I don't have to live the other person's life. So it would be totally unfair of me to sit here and tell this woman, break up with them or stay in the relationship because I don't have to live with the consequences of that. And so I really respect other people's autonomy and I respect other people's ability to make those decisions. Um, And so I would much rather empower someone to make the decision they want to make with knowledge and information that I have, um, then tell someone what to do. So again, not going to tell you what to do, but I will give you some things to use in your own discernment. So with pornography, I think a lot of people who want to get out of it well, first of all, I want to say that it's not just a man's struggle. This was a woman who wrote this to me. Um, but there are lots of women who wrestle with pornography and masturbation. Um, it is very common for women as well. And I think one of the things that's so tricky um, about the way that that Satan kind of wraps his kind of tentacles. I guess he doesn't really have tentacles, but in my mind they look like tentacles um around these situations is he kind of feeds women the lie that they're the only one and so kind of clouds them in darkness and and in an embarrassment that they can't ask for help because they're the only one. And he um it kind of pushes men into the thinking that everyone's doing it. And so it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Um and just, you know, everyone's doing it so it's fine. Both of those are a lie, right? Um women aren't the only, only ones. There are lots of people who struggle with it. And there are lots of people who are free from pornography too. And so, um, all we, there's always the freedom in Christ, so much freedom in Christ. So I will say, if there is shame there, please do not listen to the lie that you shouldn't tell anyone. Um, you desperately need to tell someone to get some help and breathe life and air and light into this darkness. All right. Um, I also see a lot that people think that you can just pray it away or focus on kind of the spiritual elements of it or just go to confession enough or whatever. And speaking as a therapist, that is not often the way that these things go because of the neurological synaptic connections that come when you look at pornography and when you masturbate. Um, Obviously, when orgasms happen, there's a lot of biological things that happen in your brain because from an evolutionary perspective, we need more humans, we need more babies. And so um, there's a lot of positive reinforcement that happens um, during orgasms. And even if it's not with another person, you know, in masturbation, with pornography, etc, those same things are going off. So there's a lot of neurological work that often needs to be done. And from a compulsion perspective, um, there is a lot of just intervention, that can be very helpful. And so I, I would say to encourage to this woman in particular, but anyone who's listening who doesn't know what to do, encourage them to seek professional help. Um, I have some recommendations of people who are professionals. So send me an email if you want a recommendation. Um, and I would definitely encourage you to persevere in finding a good fit for a professional who would be able to help you. Okay. Number one. Number two, when it comes to pornography in marriage, I want to emphasize that marriage is not going to change it. A lot of people can think, especially virgins, will think that once I get married and I'm able to have sex or I can have sex whenever I want or whatever, I'm not going to have to be struggling with this. First of all, you can't have sex whenever you want in marriage um, because there's there's a rhythm and a beauty to a married couple's uh, sexual life and it's not just one person getting sex whenever they want. So that is a lie. Um, that is not Helpful and not serving anyone's expectations of marriage. But also, um, I think when you are considering getting married to someone who has wrestled with pornography or is wrestling with pornography, I like to recommend six months of sobriety from pornography before you get married or actively working with a therapist, Um, So if someone is actively working with a therapist and they're not, they're still overcoming, they're still falling into pornography and masturbation, et cetera, but they're actively working to heal it, I think that you can get, you you would be able to build a healthy foundation in your sexual life once you get married because you have this support of the outside person helping um, hold the person who's looking at pornography and and is masturbating accountable and helping you work toward healing. Otherwise, um, I think if pornography is in a marriage, especially really early on, that it can be very harmful to the foundation and harmful to the trust and harmful to the intimacy and the safety of both people. Um, So those are just some tips. and. Unfortunately, if you get to a point where you're ready to move forward in a relationship um, but the other person isn't willing to seek help and isn't willing to find a professional and isn't willing to try to overcome pornography with very intentional kind of empirically based, evidence-based strategies to help, it may be necessary to end the relationship. Um, Not in an ultimatum manipulation kind of way, but um, really in a We're not going to be able to have a healthy, successful marriage if this is not something that you're willing to work on. But I'm hopeful that he would want to get the help, and I'm hopeful that he would be able to have the humility um, to ask for the help and to seek the professional help and to do the work. So um, there's that question, and I think we have time for just one more. Um, Do you have a list of all those questions that couples should ask while they're in pre-engagement? It would be so helpful to have these and yes, actually, I do have a very thorough list of questions. I actually wrote an entire program dedicated to this, which some of y'all may know about, um, may have seen on our website. Um, it's called Next Step because I I wrote Next Step because there is such a need for good, quality, intentional, structured material to help couples discern if marriage is their vocation and if they're called to marry each other. Um, the content of Next Step is based on some writings by Pope John Paul II, so um, it's based in essentially in church teaching on these things that John Paul said in Familiaris Consortio um, that I've just fleshed out a little bit with my background in um, theology and counseling. And it's an eight-week course that uh, you get a mentor couple while you're going through it, and that mentor um, in the small group that you guys are in will guide you kind of through the curriculum and accompany you through the curriculum for these eight sessions. So next step is a um, parish-based program, which means that parishes run it, um, and it is very community-based. I love kind of having that discernment in the context of community. But because of COVID, we were able to offer it online on Zoom. It was on Zoom anyways for the parish. And so we were able to open it up. And our hope, we've done this. um, We ran two next steps that were opened up to people in the spring. And we had people from all over the place. Um, It's live. So you had to be able to come at 7 to 9 central time, wherever you were. Um, So mostly the United States and Canada, but we were able to, um, we're hoping that we're able to open it up again in the spring. We have some next steps booked and perhaps we will be able to open some of those to people who are virtual as well. And we do have a plan to film Next Step and make it something that is accessible to a couple that doesn't have the ability to log on 7 to 9 p.m. Central time, or maybe they want it at a time or need it at a time when it's not running live, or maybe you're in Europe or Asia or a place where you can't log on from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. So I think I just said that. I'm really excited about this, and I get my brain moves faster than my words because I'm pumped. So anyways, um, next step, if you want more information about that, um, you can sign up on our mailing list. Um, There's a link in the show notes for that, and I can you'll get information about when Next Step launches. You can also email me if you have any questions about it. But yes, the list of questions that couples should ask um, is all contained in Next Step. That's really my heart for pre-engaged couples and people discerning marriage. So we'd love to have you join us if you think that would be helpful. All right, guys, that is all the time we have for today. But like I said, I'd be happy to do another one of these um, if you like it. So um, hopefully. This is something that y'all enjoy and we can do another part of it next season. I also wanted to update y'all on what will be happening for season two of the podcast. So we have done every week um, since we launched back in August, which has been so wonderful. We have some incredibly exciting things on the horizon for 2021. Y'all, and I'm like, I'm pumped about them. I'm pumped to share them with you when we can. But while we're working on improving the discerning marriage ministry in this way, we are going to go to every other week um, for season two once we return. So the next season will start on January 20th and we'll be doing every other week um, until we can announce what big exciting things are on the horizon. Um, Y'all, we are just getting started. The Lord is, thanks be to God, doing such big things. And I'm so excited to have y'all along for this ride. So you can sign up on our mailing list, like I mentioned a second ago, to be the first to hear when we announce the news. And also, like I said, to hear about when Next Step will be dropping. Um, And... Yeah, the link will be in the show notes. So y'all, this season has been such a dream come true for me. It's been an honor to come alongside you as your discerning marriage. And I'm so excited to continue doing it and to see how the Lord um, flourishes this ministry as we move forward. So um, if you want to talk to me during that break between podcasts, send me a message on Instagram or send me an email and I'd love to connect with you. Um, And in the meantime, subscribe to this podcast. uh, Leave a comment, please. It's so helpful for us when you leave a review or a comment, um, on Apple, it would be so helpful for y'all to do that. And until next time, y'all stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the theology of the body, visit tobinstitute.org.